Alright, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 12. Isaiah chapter 12, it's uh, <coughs> kind of hard to think we've gotten this far um, in Isaiah. Um, I know at the beginning I kind of, I don't know if I should say I promise, but I wasn't expecting to go through um, every chapter and... Right now we're uh, at Isaiah chapter 12. This is the ending of the first major section in Isaiah. And so I guess i got to decide what I'm going to do now. Um, if I'm going to keep going chapter by chapter um, or if I want to skip some stuff. But um, I've really benefited from what we've looked at so far. And I hope you have as well. And I know that there's been a lot of repetition because this is a section in Isaiah. And so the section is meant to expound upon similar themes and similar things that are were important um, to Isaiah, his audience, to God, what he was trying to say through Isaiah. And so I think we'll see some of that again as this is sort of the concluding um, chapter, the concluding message of Isaiah as he has put it for us in the book that he has written that is now for us the Word of God. And so I'm looking forward to this morning and Maybe there's a chance that I won't last 45 minutes since it's only six verses, but I can be long-winded sometimes. So we'll see how that goes. So Isaiah chapter 12. Um, <laughs> six verses, that's right. We'll see how long this takes us. It <laughs> That's right. It shouldn't, but I'm the one speaking, so, you know, anything can happen. You never know. That's right. See where it takes us. Isaiah chapter 12, starting in verse 1, we'll read all six verses and then go back and talk about Verse 1, you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples, proclaim that His name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for He has done gloriously, let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Now, Perhaps you caught in there just overall the intent of this of this hymn of this song of this praise um, it's meant to be read or sung probably with a little bit more enthusiasm than I typically give i'm i'm pretty I'm a pretty mellow guy publicly um, and so it's not often that I get caught up in emotion or in shouting or in praise, but hopefully you can see that this is some of what is intended for Isaiah, his audience, for God's people in Isaiah chapter 12. So don't let my lack of emotion or enthusiasm um, take away from what is happening here. Um, So let's look back at verse 1 says, you will say in that day. Now, if you notice, you know, there's sort of two times that he says that in this chapter. You will say in that day, there in verse 1, and then verse 4 starts out, and you will say in that day. If you remember back to last week, um, we saw these phrases. 
And and again, as I've mentioned over the last couple of weeks, I'll mention it again. Context. Read this chapter of Isaiah alongside of the previous chapters that we've looked at. As I mentioned, chapters 2 through 12, are, that's the first major section in Isaiah, and so there are similar words that are going to be recapped in this chapter that is meant to help us to look back upon and relate to what the things that have already been said by Isaiah. So even just last week in chapter 11, look at verses 10 and 11, and you'll see that he says, In that day the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples of him, shall all the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Verse 11, In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people. And so this is meant to link chapter 12 with chapter 11. At the least, you will say in that day, well, what day is that? It's a day of hope. I mean, this is a message of hope. This chapter 12, this song, this hymn of praise is a message of hope. And it's a message of hope during difficult times. As we've seen, as we've been walking through Isaiah, his message was one of God's wrath is coming. God's wrath, God's anger is upon you is coming at you because you deserve it because he has done all of these things for you and yet you have turned your back on him god still in the midst of that wants us to know that there is a day coming for his people that isaiah is talking to there is a day where it's not going to be like that anymore where his anger is going to be different it's going to turn um, and we'll see, as we continue on in verse 1, You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. So, let's be reminded, in, in chapter 5, verse 25, look at this, because it's only a few pages back. Chapter 5, verse 25. And if you remember here in verse 25, and then... In chapter 9, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, this phrase has been used in Isaiah already. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 25, Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he stretched out his hand against them and struck them, and the mountains quaked, and their corpses were as refuse in the midst of the streets. For all this his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. Flip forward a couple chapters. So Isaiah chapter 9, a few chapters, excuse me, I want to be mathematically correct. Isaiah chapter 9, in verse 12, there are four times, if you remember, that this phrase is used in Isaiah chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10, in that section we looked at a couple weeks ago. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 12, the Syrians on the east and the Philistines on the west devour Israel with open mouths. For all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. Verse 17. Therefore the Lord does not rejoice over their young men, and has no compassion on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is godless and an evildoer, and every mouth speaks folly. For all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. So, again, there's this theme. Look at verse 21 of chapter 9. Manasseh devours Ephraim, and Ephraim devours Manasseh. 
Together they are against Judah. God's people are against God's people. It's not great. For all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. God's wrath, God's anger is a sure thing, and it is serious. Chapter 10, verse 4. Nothing remains but to crouch among the prisoners or fall among the slain. For all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. So, what is going to cause God's anger to turn away? When is God's anger going to turn away? Well, as Isaiah says, in that day. Well, what day is that? Well, that day was not the day that Isaiah was preaching. That day was not the day when he gave chapter 12 to Isaiah to give to the people was not the day that he's referencing. And so let's remember that this message of hope is in a time when it seemed like there was no hope, when people were in despair, when God's anger was directed towards God's people because they were not being God's people. I hope that we can grasp well as people who claim to be the people of God, as Christians, as people who follow after Him, who want to see His glory fill the earth, that sometimes, more often than we would like, we do not act like God's people. And as Christians, we have had to come to a realization that God's wrath and God's anger has been directed towards us because we are sinners, because we have disobeyed His law, because we have turned away from Him. We have known that He is God and we have known His law. It's been written on our hearts, but our hearts have deceived us. The things of this world have lied to us. People have lied to us. Our own hearts have turned inward and and sought after things other than God. And we have deserved God's wrath and God's anger. We've earned that. For the wages of sin is death. I mean, death comes to people who who deserve it. And we have deserved it. We've deserved physical death and we've deserved spiritual death. And so the question you know, where is this message of hope? You know, why, why does God's anger turn away? How does God's anger turn away? And really, I want us to think about why does God's anger turn away? God's anger turns away because God is salvation. Look at verse 2 in our text in chapter 12. Why does God's anger turn away? Why does His anger turn away? Because God is salvation. Verse 2, Behold... God is my salvation. I will trust now and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. God is salvation. It's not just that He provides salvation, but God is salvation. It's His character. It's a truth about Him that we must recognize and understand, that we should think about. We should dwell upon the characteristics of God. We should think about His holiness. We should think about His 
awesome works. We should think about His grace. We should think about His mercy. We should think about His perfection. We should think about His beauty. We should think about His glory. We should think about His majesty. And when we use words to describe God, we should include salvation in there. God is salvation. And this is a truth about his nature that's as old as the Garden of Eden. Some of his first actions after creation in chapter 1 and chapter 2, man sinned in chapter 3. Adam and Eve sinned in chapter 3. And, and what does he do? Does he kick him out of the garden and say, good luck, good riddance. I hope you can figure this out on your own. One of the first actions that he takes is he, he seeks after them. He says, you know, Adam... You know, why are you hiding? And Adam and Eve, they recognized that they were naked after they sinned, and so they, they sewed some leaves together to try and cover themselves up, right? And, and God notices this, and he says, this isn't going to do. You can't cover up yourselves. Let me cover you. He, the, the first real sacrifice that we see in the Bible, God clothes them with skins that they need for warmth, for protection, because now they're vulnerable. Now death has come upon them. Now their bodies are wasting away. And God, in one of his first actions when sin enters the world, is to provide a means for them to be protected. God is salvation. He saves people from the evil around them, from the heartache around them. But this doesn't mean that we're never going to encounter it. This doesn't mean that we're never going to encounter hardship or hard times or difficulties or struggles. When we think about the second book of the Bible, there are 66 books in the Bible, and the second book of the Bible is called Exodus. Well, what was the Exodus? Well, it was an exit from Egypt. How did God's people exit from Egypt? Because God saved them from Egypt. He saved them from slavery the second book of the Bible, you have, it's all about God doing miraculous things to save his people from bondage, to take them out of an oppressive situation and show them that he cares for them because he is a God who is gracious and merciful, who abounds in steadfast love, who's slow to anger, he's patient. God is salvation. We see it when sin enters the world. We see it in the second book of the Bible. This is not some just abstract idea. It's not just some action that he takes, but it is who he is. We talked several weeks ago about the importance of names. And we briefly looked at when the angel tells um, Joseph and Mary and says, this is what you're supposed to call this boy who is going to be born to you. And you're supposed to name him Jesus. And why? Why are you going to name him Jesus? What does his name mean? Well, Jesus means, basically, God saves. I mean, that's Jesus' name. 
God is salvation. And I, and I want us to, to recognize that God does not turn away his anger because we have done something to appease him or to earn his turning away from his anger. God does not turn his anger away because we've deserved good things to happen to us. God doesn't relent from disaster because we did so many prayers and because we did so many good deeds, because we acted like it. God turns away from his anger because that's who he is. We were reading in Matthew chapter 15 about the state of our hearts earlier when Cole was reading just a few minutes ago. The state of our hearts, the state of our persons, the state of who we are is defined by our heart. And how is our heart described by Jesus in Matthew 15, verse 18 through 20. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart, out of your heart, out of my heart, these are, this is what comes from our hearts. This is who we are. This is naturally all that we can do. All that we have, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. This, these things have defiled us. This, this is how we are described. This is who I have been. This is who I was. And the only thing that has changed my heart is being given a new heart by God because God saves. Because God cares. Because God we went through Ephesians um, months ago as, as we started our, our gathering together, our church, in the summer and fall. And we were walking through Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 2, it's such a great chapter because we see that we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. And then you have such a great transition because it says, But God... But God, being rich in mercy, but God did something. Not because we were partially alive, not because we were hanging on by a thread, and we pulled on that thread, and it rang a bell, and, you know, God came to our aid. But God, when we were dead, when we had no other hope in this life, God did something. And God did something because God is something. And He is salvation. God showed up for Isaiah in chapter 6. We looked at several weeks back. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah's given privilege to, to see God on His throne. And Isaiah's reaction was to say, I'm not worthy of being here. I should not be here. Me being in the presence of this God brings upon me a curse because I am a sinful man. I live among a people of unclean lips. I'm a man of unclean lips. 
I'm a prophet of God, and the, and the one thing that he's given me to do, I'm not even, I'm not good at, I'm not perfect at, I've failed at. But we have the picture of God touching his lips through the angel with that coal from the fire and him saying, your sin is atoned for. What we must recognize is that we have to continually understand our sin and our complete undeserving unworthiness of God's mercy. We don't receive God's salvation because we have done something to earn it. But instead, true seeing, true hearing, true understanding come from, as he starts there in verse 2, behold. That's what beholding really means, is, is really seeing, really hearing, really understanding, really being able to grasp the fact of who God is. And it means truly responding in kind. And this is where we get to the praise, the joy, where when we understand God for who He really is, when we behold Him, and we understand ourselves and how universes apart we are, how God is so holy and we are so not holy, that what it brings us to, our true understanding of our situation brings us to truly responding. And that response is praise. And so we see in, in the second half of verse 2, but reading all of verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, again, notice that we're actually saying these things. These things are actually being proclaimed. We, having received God's mercy when we haven't deserved it, our response is going to be proclaiming that salvation is to being is to having a heart and having lips then that speak to the salvation that we have encountered to the God that we've encountered and you will say in that day verse 4 give thanks to the Lord call upon his name make known his deeds among the peoples proclaim that his name is exalted give thanks to the Lord Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Verse 5. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Verse 6. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Praise. It's, it's a song, but it's more than a song. Right? I mean, I think we sang that last week. Um, For a song in itself is not what God requires, but He looks at our heart. He searches much deeper. And our heart, from our heart, what we read in Matthew 15, from the heart the mouth speaks. Out of our heart come all of these evil thoughts. But when we're given a new heart, when we trust Christ for salvation and no one else, when we don't trust ourselves and we don't trust other people and we don't trust the things of this world, when we trust God for salvation... God is going to put a different song in our heart. He's going to put different thoughts in our heart. 
He's going to give us new desires. He's going to give us thoughts of Himself. He's going to give us Him. We're, we're going to have Him. We're going to have a different heart. And, and this idea of praise, it's just, it's a correct posture of our heart. Where before we were sinners, we were destitute, we were unable to seek after God, to know God, to, to live properly. We've now been given a different heart and a correct posture. The commentator says, Praise is essentially a thankful confession that gives honor to God. Praise is essentially a thankful confession that gives honor to God. It's giving thanks, right? We saw that in verse 4. Giving thanks to the Lord. And why do we give thanks? Because we have recognized that we have sinned and that God has done something about it. Because that's who He is. And this praise... I want us to see what's so interesting about this. And, and I mentioned some of this last week in chapter 11. Because again, all of these chapters, all of these prophecies, all of these things are not just one-offs. They're not just isolated incidents that have nothing to do with each other. They, in conjunction with one another, give us such a great picture, building on top of a previous picture and, and filling in the details and the gaps and sketching more in, and, and drawing in more characters, and, and the nuances of what's happening, we see more and more of this praise not just being for our own benefit, but being so that other people can hear and then respond to the truth that we have understood, and then the truth that we are then expressing. I mean, again, the, praise is not just... It's not just a correct posture of the heart, but it is going to overflow into the songs that we sing, into the words that we say, into the actions that we take. It's going to be spoken. I mean, he says in verse 4, again, look at this, give thanks to the Lord. That doesn't just mean, in my heart, give thanks. That means actually say thanks out loud. It means call upon His name. Call upon His name you know, I think I referenced it, and if I didn't, I'll do it for the first time in the last few weeks. But you have the the picture in the Gospels of the tax collector, and then you have the the teacher, the scribe, the Pharisee, and you have these guys compared to one another. And the tax the tax collector says, "Be merciful to me, a sinner." He beats his breast. And says, I'm not worthy, God, of your salvation. And, and the Pharisee, the scribe, the teacher, he says, Thank you, God, that I'm not like all these other people. That you haven't made me as awful as they are. Right? The, that guy, he, he finds salvation in himself. But the tax collector, the guy who doesn't look like he should be the one who God saves. He's the one who goes home justified. He's the one who Jesus says, look at this man, this man, this tax collector, he's the one who understands God rightly. Because he understands himself, 
And he calls out to God in recognition of his need for God. The other man, all he thought he needed was himself. And, and this, this calling out, this giving thanks, this making known his deeds, this proclaiming that his name is exalted, all of these things that we say, we proclaim so that it will be known among the peoples. Look at that in the second half of verse 4. Make known his deeds among the peoples. That means not just amongst yourself, not just amongst the people who are God's people, but among those who are not God's people. Praise is, worship is supposed to be evangelism. What we do when we talk about God should be talking about God with other people. If God has truly changed our hearts, if He has given us a new heart, if we, really, if we truly and really understand what He has done for us, that He has given us what we have not earned or deserved, that what we have earned and deserved is hell and separation from Him and death, and yet because He is salvation, He has given us life eternally. He has given us a new heart. He promises us a new body. He promises us that He will be with us and that He won't forsake us. When we have these things, when we have encountered God in this way, our response will be to proclaim that to people who have not experienced that yet. It's not just to sing praises together as Christians who gather, as a church who gathers, but, but to invite other people into that so they can see us praising God. And then as we go out into our work, as we go out into talking with our friends, the natural overflow of our heart is going to speak what our heart is. Out of the natural heart come evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, slander, false witness. All these things that Jesus described in Matthew 15. But a new heart is going to be a heart that sings praises to Him. That talks praises about Him. That other people will hear and see and understand because of our witness. And one of the reasons we praise God, one of the reasons that Isaiah's audience has a reason to praise God is because in verse 6, it's promised that God is going to be with them. Verse 6, Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. I've mentioned Genesis chapter 3. You know, Genesis 1 and 2 and chapter 3. And one of the things about that is, originally God, God walked with Adam and Eve. God had a, a regular habit of spending time with Adam and Eve. Like, physically in the garden. He was with them. It was quite clear that God had direct communication with Adam and Eve, that He spent time with them. 
This is the picture we get from Genesis 1 and 2 and from chapter 3. That God was with them. And that the Garden of Eden was meant to be a place where God was with his people. At that time, all the people were were Adam and Eve. But he was with them. And some of what we see throughout the story of the Bible is God offering to be with his people, but his people not really caring about God being with them. God leads them out of Egypt in, in, in the Exodus, and he has them build a place for God to dwell among his people, the tabernacle. And, and then later on we have the temple, where, where God's presence is seen to be among his people. God wants to dwell with his people, and God cares about his people enough to be with them. Not just to say, good luck, figure it out on your own. Not just enough to say, I'll do these things for you, but I'm not going to be with you. God is with us. If you remember in Isaiah chapter 7, one of the prophecies that was given about the Messiah was that his name was going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. God desires to be with his people. That's what God desired for Isaiah and Isaiah's audience, that there was a day, even for them, of hope, where God's anger would turn away. At some point, to some extent, even for Isaiah's audience. And we see now, years and years later, thousands of years later, the fullness of the extent of what this really means. Because now, in the New Testament age, Christ came. We can see that Christ came and that Christ was God among his people in the flesh. He dwelt among them. He talked with them. We read in Matthew 15, the crowds followed him and he had compassion on them. He touched them. He healed them. He cared about the people that no one else cared about. He provided hope to the hopeless when he came. But then he left. And he said, it's better for you that I go away because otherwise then I wouldn't send the helper. And instead of just having one Jesus that was in one spot at a certain time, now we have the Spirit who is in all places at all times. We have the Spirit of Christ who is available to us as Christians, who indwells us as Christians. We have God with us through the Spirit. And this is one of the reasons we should give thanks to God. We should sing praises to God is because as Christians now, we have God with us. He's not leaving us. He's not forsaking us. He is a seal, a promise, a guarantee of our salvation that is not fully seen by our eyes. We still live in these bodies that are going to experience death and suffering and pain. We live in a time where there is so much hopelessness, where there is so much despair, where there's so much heartache, where our own bodies they speak against us. That they lead us astray. Our, the, our natural selves our, our hearts that we have had in the past, they, it, it tries to fight back through our new heart. It, it tries to come alongside of us and to overpower 
the truth that we have understood in Christ. And, and we struggle. This is a hard life. And we can get bogged down in hopelessness. But in the same way that Isaiah had a message of hope for his people in a time where physically they were being invaded by other countries, by other nations, where they were afraid for their physical lives, where they didn't have access to all of the great things that we do in 2019 of medical care and drugs and indoor plumbing and air conditioning and houses that we that aren't going to be taken from us we we have so much to be thankful for there's so many things that God has done for us and and I hope that the reason for our our joyful singing as the same commentator quotes. I hope that the reason for our joyful singing and praise does not lie in material wealth and absence of fears or in the return to Zion or in some future expected new heavens and new earth. I hope that our that our hope does not just lie in those things. Our hope lies in God because he is salvation. And so as we've looked through chapter 12, I hope and I, and I pray that we would see God for who He is and not just for the things that He does for us. Yes, look at God for the things He does for us, but not just that. Look at His character. Look at, at His nature, at who He is. Not just the things that He's done. Not just, what have you done for me, God, lately? How have you taken away all of these hardships that I face in my life? But God says, in the midst of these fears, don't be afraid. We wouldn't be commanded to not be afraid if there were no fears to be afraid of. God wouldn't continue to say, don't fear, trust me, if there was, if he had taken away all, all the things that cause us to fear. He says, in the midst of those fears that you have, in the midst of the unknowns of life, in the midst of the chaos that is around you and in you, trust me. Trust me. Don't be afraid. I am with you. This is who I am. This is who I have been. This is who I am now. And this is who I will continue to be. God is with us not to take us away from all the hardships and not to give us all the great things that this world has to offer, but instead to give us himself and to be with us. And so take heart in that truth. That's the same truth that Isaiah had for his audience 2,700 years ago. And it's a truth that still is right for us today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for how what you have been, your character, your nature has not changed over time, but you have stayed the same. Who you have been is who you still are and who you will continue to be. The things that you have done are the things that you will continue to do in us.
and that you will continue to do as long as this world still exists. Help us to take heart in the fact that you care for us. Help us to be a people who proclaim the excellencies of your works, but even more than that, that proclaim the excellencies of you, of your nature, of your character. This is our prayer, God. And I pray for us that we would be a people who proclaim this truth to those around us, to those who have not experienced it, that we would share together with other Christians, fellow believers, our church together. We would sing praises and worship rightly. But then on top of that, in the midst of that, alongside of that, we would sing praises in the midst of all the peoples, that we would proclaim your name to those who don't know it, proclaim your nature and your character to those who have not experienced it, and that you would change their hearts because you are the God who saves, you are the God who does these things. And so use our shouts of joy, our shouts of praise to bring other people into your kingdom through the work of your spirit and the truth that we proclaim together and as we go our own separate ways. Help us to encourage one another in these endeavors. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.